5 and verses 17 to 26. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. And if you've just got a, an outline um, or a, an open Bible, that'd be really good. Let's just pray. Lord, open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. So this August, uh, this August we're looking at Luke's account. Uh, Luke was a companion of Paul. And um, actually, he was, Luke was the single largest contributor to the whole of the New Testament. We tend to think that Paul was, um, but it's not true. It's Luke. Luke wrote volume one, Luke and then volume two, Acts. And um, by uh, word count, that's more than all of the epistles. So quite a, a major player here. Um, he wasn't one of the apostles, drew upon probably Peter's, uh, Mark's account who drew on Peter. And um, Stuart started last week, and maybe just to go back to why he wrote it, because that, that has importance not just for what he wrote, but for us too, um, Luke 1, 3, and 4. Um, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Uh, he, he followed, so he investigated um, all things closely, therefore it was careful, what he did was, was, was done carefully. It was orderly, there was a logic and a structure based on verse 2, eyewitnesses. Um, that which was delivered, as a technical Greek phrase, it meant passing on. The apostles passed this on. In other words, the gospel isn't something we make up now. It is passed on from generation to generation. And our faithfulness is determined by whether we are faithful to what has been passed down to us. And it's interesting, he, he said he wanted Theophilus to have a certainty. It's interesting, I wonder whether when it comes to the faith we have, is there a certainty about that? Is there a, a sense that, that this gives me a secure base to live 
and also to die. We need that, don't we? We, we need that, that sense of certainty, that sense of confidence. Uh, and I suppose if things are going well, um, perhaps we just carry on. But it's during the difficult times, facing illness and facing death, that actually that sense of confidence and certainty is really important, isn't it? And, and throughout the, the Gospels, we, we see actually Jesus wanting people to have a confidence and a certainty, not in themselves, but in who he is and what he's done. And there's a reminder that's going to come through God's word by his spirit. So if we are looking for a greater confidence and certainty in the gospel, then actually God's going to give that to us through his word by his spirit. Anyway, let's move on. And um, this incident here... Um, it is the start of five incidents involving Jesus, all of which were controversial. And we see that who he is and, and what he does goes hand in hand. I, I don't know about you, let's be honest, most of us, we, we do want a quiet life, don't we? We do, I think we do. I mean, anything for a quiet life. And so <laughs> we follow the course of least resistance, we go with the flow. Now, if you are a Christian in many parts of the world, of course, that's never going to happen. Because being a Christian means that you will go against the flow and you, in that sense, won't have an easy or a quiet life. Now, we're used to that, aren't we, as we pray for the persecuted church. But increasingly in our culture, that will be the case with us too. Increasingly faithful Christians who are faithful to God's word will be seen as the bad guys. There's a book written. Is it called The Bad Guys? Being the Bad Guys. And what it reminds us is that because of what we believe, we will challenge so many assumptions and beliefs of our time and our culture, even especially in the West. So I'm saying that because Jesus begins his ministry with controversy and offense. And um, what he does, by the way, in this passage is not what we might expect. There is a key action here. It is at the heart of this encounter, and for most people who will listen to the story but not really read it, it's probably different. And the problem is, of course, in my Bible, I don't know about yours, they, they give these chapter headings, don't they? And of course, the, the chapter heading here is Jesus heals a paralytic. So, we instantly feel that the heart of the passage is Jesus healing a paralytic which in some ways is true, but in other ways we see that what Jesus does is slightly different to what maybe the people expected and maybe even what we expect too. And uh, this sets the tone for the next three years. Um, I heard a great definition of leadership. How about this? A leader, um, leadership is about disappointing people at a rate they can handle. I love that disappointing people at a rate they can handle. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that here. <laughs> he disappoints people at a rate they can't handle. Have a look at the context. The context um, sets the scene, verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. It's a little bit like a jury, isn't it? Both judge and jury. 
an examining board, an investigating committee. If you uh, were a teacher and um, Ofsted were in school and suddenly, as you're teaching, all of the Ofsted team come and sit at the back of your class, I wonder how you would feel. Probably not great. So you can, that's the sort of context here. What does Jesus do? Here's the first one. Jesus responds to their seeking. Jesus responds to their seeking. Behold, some men were bringing on a better man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Now, the disabled man was helpless, probably one of the most vulnerable in society. He was completely dependent, and in this case, completely dependent upon his friends. And his friends somehow realized that Jesus was the one who could help. That if they could do anything for their friends, then they needed to bring him to Jesus. And, uh, and that's what they do. And let's be honest, it was probably quite a scene, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, Jesus was in this crowded house, you can imagine. And, you know, don't forget, this is the Middle East, so it would have been really hot. Really hot. And then suddenly... The dust starts to appear, and then great big chunks of mud come down, and, and the man is delivered. Two things, very quickly. I wonder, do I have the, the same desire to bring my friends and family, my loved ones, to Jesus? These people <laughs> literally dug through a roof to bring their friend to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was going to be the only answer. Do we, do we believe that? Do we feel that regarding our own friends and family? You, you see, let's be under no misunderstanding here. Jesus says, without him, people are eternally lost. We are separated naturally from God's love and life. But with Christ, through faith in him, we become people with new life and an eternal hope. And so, naturally, I desire, I long to, to bring my friends and family to Jesus. Um, and, and I'm going to do that through prayer. Some of my, my, my most earnest prayer are for family and loved ones who don't know Christ. And so I will pray for them. I will, as it were, bring them to Christ in prayer. I, I will witness to them. And, and with family and friends, that's obviously often quite difficult, actually. Probably the, the most difficult um, people to witness to are those closest to us. Um, through my life, through invitation, the, these people had, had no doubt that they sought Jesus. They brought their friend to Jesus. Surely we also uh, would want to do the same. Secondly, do I come with, to Jesus with that sense of desperation? You sense there was a, a helplessness and a longing w from the disabled man's friends. A and we see here, actually, this is a key characteristic of what it is to be a follower of Christ. A and that sense of, of coming and seeking, and don't forget, this wasn't just a turning up to church um, and sitting in a, in a comfy pew. This was trying to get in, there was no way in, so we'll go up onto the roof and we'll dig a hole. Well, there must have been some compensation involved with this, you could imagine. If that was your house, you'd probably want them to, to make good uh, the damage. So you can, you can sense that, that sense, that desperation there. 
And when we read the Scriptures, especially the Psalms, you see that characteristic often portrayed. Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Think of a person who is starving to death. Think of a person who is, 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 is thirsty, desperately thirsty, and is longing. You, you look at a, a dog sometimes, and because dogs tell it all, don't they? They don't miss And so you, in, in hot weather, a dog will just will pant. And, and there's that sense of desperation. And we're reminded here that that is a key characteristic of being a disciple. And Jesus responds to their seeking. He responds to their desperation, this frame of mind. You see it again in, in the most um, famous verses in Matthew 5, the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and the paradox is, I think the deeper I grow in my relationship with Christ, so also the deeper my desire for Christ and that sense of hunger and thirst and desperation also wells up within my life. Because I, I, as I get to know him more, I, I realize I need him more. I, I realize I desire him more. I'm, I'm desperate for him. A and actually, if I don't have that now, then a good place to start is to pray, God, give me that sense of desire for you. If that's a gift of the Holy Spirit, in many ways, that, that can be one of the most important prayers. We, we see here, Jesus responds to this sort of seeking. He longs to respond to this sort of seeking. A and so, praying that, that the Holy Spirit gives us that heart sense of, of, of a deepening desire and hunger and thirst for him will 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 grow um, will bring great fruit in, in our Christian lives. That's the first thing. Secondly, Jesus gets to the heart of my problem. What's the real problem here? What's the heart of the issue? What was the man's deepest disability? Now, again, we need to feel the force of this. So, imagine the scene. So, this hole appears, and uh, Jesus has been probably speaking and. And, and he stops, and everyone's eyes go up, and they're thinking, what on earth is happening here? And uh, over the course of a, of a few seconds and minutes, this hole gets bigger, and this guy is let down on ropes, and uh, the dust is still settling, except it isn't dust, of course, because um, you make tiles or, or roofs Wattle and daw. We did that at school, didn't we? Wattle. But of course, in our country, we have plenty of supplies of mud. Um, but in, in that, that place, you didn't. So what was the plenteous supply of gloopy, muddy material? Yes, dung. Okay, so you can imagine they lit... Oh, I won't do... Anyway, there we you've, you've got it. So anyway, in the end, everything has stopped, and the man is let down, and... Verse 20, what does Jesus... And so you can imagine, if this is happening, everyone is thinking, I know what he's going to say. What's he going to say? And what does he say, verse 20? Have a look. When he saw their faith, he said, rise up and walk. Except he doesn't, does he? He doesn't say that. 
But that's exactly what we think he should do, and probably exactly what everyone thought he was going to do. He doesn't say that. What does he say? When he saw their faith, he said, what? Sins are forgiven. And at that point, I wonder whether there was a further pause as people thought, what on earth is he doing? Uh, I, I could imagine the men who brought the paralyzed friend were disappointed. The man himself was probably disappointed, and everyone else was quizzical because they already knew by this time, it says the power uh, of God was there to heal, so they were expecting a miracle, but this was slightly different. You, we used to sing that children's song, Man Looks on the Outside, but God Looks on the Heart. The problem is, by and large, we live as functional atheists. By that I mean we accept that the reality around us is that we can see and touch and smell and taste. And, and so we, we are materialists. We, we focus on what we, our senses communicate to us. But Jesus is saying here, that this man, and in fact our deepest disability, is not physical, but spiritual. And that's the heart of the passage. It's not the physical healing. And we'll see, that's a, that's, that's a sign in itself. The heart of the passage is that Jesus is saying that our deepest need, our deepest disability, our deepest disease as human beings is actually spiritual. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. My greatest need, my most profound disability, and I have a lot of disabilities, I don't know about you, but in the end, it's actually sin, being separated from God. Sin is not just something I do, it's someone I am. It is the fact that I am born as a human being, that part of my DNA means I have this sense, this program within me, which doesn't necessarily make me the worst I can be. So to say that we are all sinners doesn't say that we're the worst that we can possibly be. It just means that we're never as good as required by God. And, and frankly, the older we get, the more we realize that in our hearts. And that separates us from God. And, and that's why the, 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 greatest, the greatest problem humanity seeks is not ultimately climate change, though that is a big problem and needs to be addressed. It's not poverty and injustice, though those are great things which Christians have to be involved with. The greatest challenge is the fact that I am separated from God. And sometimes, of course, we don't think that. And we think that the gospel comes and does all sorts of things to us. It, it makes us moral people. Um, it, it, it leads us to do nice and wonderful things. Um, great. But the heart of the gospel is a God who came as a savior because people had a heart problem. They were separated from God, and they needed forgiveness. And so we see here the very heart of the gospel. By the way, there is a side issue here for churches, that we don't get too 
busy, focused on other things. Now, it is good to do many, many other things as churches. But the heart of the gospel, the heart of Jesus' message, the reason he's called Jesus in the first place, is that people are separated from God and they need his forgiveness, made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. And in many ways, sometimes as churches, we can get too busy doing other things and we start to forget the heart of the gospel, to heal that broken relationship with the Father, to bridge the gap. He did that with the man. And you can imagine, and we'll see that in the final point, actually this was going to be highly controversial. So the third thing is, Jesus sets the man free. And Jesus again reveals my greatest need and his power to meet my deepest need. Verse 23 Here's the difference between saying and doing. Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? Okay, so picture the scene. You're there, the man's in front of you. What's the easiest thing to say to him? Is it to say your sins are forgiven, which is you cannot disprove that, can you? No. I mean, you might say, well, that, I suppose it gives a nice fuzzy feeling. Or, rise up and walk. Well, actually, probably the first one, because actually, within a few seconds, you're going to see very quickly whether that's an authentic thing to say or not. Jesus knew that. So verse 24, in many ways, the heart of a passage, but that you may know that the Son of Man, his favorite way of describing himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home, that you may know. Jesus' physical healing, healing proves and authenticates what he says and who he is. Can you see that? So that actually, to focus just on the physical healing um, doesn't get to the heart of a passage. The heart of a passage is that you may know. What? who this Jesus is, and that he has the power to forgive sins. Now, go back, to the, go back to the examination committee, go back to the jury, verse 20, um, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Interestingly, Jesus does not deny the, vali the validity of those two statements. He accepts them. He accepts them. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? And so the raising of the man, paralyzed, authenticates who he is. Who is this? This is not some spiritual guru. This is someone who quite rightly does things that only God can do. Why? Because this is God in the flesh. The heart of a passage is, 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 is not healing this man. It wasn't his physical disability. It was his spiritual problem, which is something we all share in too. And um, this amazing act is, is something God wants to do within us as well. Firstly, will we seek him? Will we become like those people who were desperate, would do anything to meet with Jesus? He always responds 
Jesus always responds to those kinds of people? Will we allow him to get to our heart, um, to, to admit that I am spiritually bankrupt? Sometimes the hardest people to realize this are religious people, by the way. I am spiritually bankrupt. That's the gospel. And that's grace, isn't it? This is the good news. That to those who are spiritually disabled and, 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 and completely dependent upon what God can do, he will come. And that through faith in him, he will bring his life. That I admit that I'm in need of this. And then will I receive this gift, setting me free. To know him and live in, in the sense of new life, new identity, new love, new hope, new strength. So, another incident um, from Luke's diary, as it were. And yet, by his spirit, he wants to do exactly the same, even now, even here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that you long for those who are hungry and thirsty to come to you. Make us those people. Give us increasingly a deep desire, a desperation for you. And, and may we see that you are the one alone who can heal our lives and set us free. And we pray, Lord, that you may continue that work in us as we put our faith in you. In Jesus' name.